Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. God is looking for those who are fully committed to him or running the Christian race and finishing it well. Let me give you some history. Um, I'm a big fan of history. I wish I'd been a bigger fan of history when I was at school, uh, but they couldn't wait to get rid of me, and I ended up in the class that didn't do history. Um, it was put in a, a special group of people called the B Group. Uh, and the B Group didn't do a whole load of things, education really, and uh, I was put in the, uh, the rest of the group that uh, didn't like history. But as I've got older... I've started to understand the value of history and really quite enjoy it. Right, so I'm going to take you back nearly 3,000 years. Right, so the kingdom of Israel under King David and King Solomon had split. Right, there'd been a... um, uh, Israel was at its largest point under King David and the early part of Solomon. But Solomon, for all of his wisdom started to invite uh, alliances and marriages that put other gods into Israel. And the seeds that Solomon uh, sowed meant that the kingdom was getting quite weak by the time of Solomon's death. So uh, the northern part of Israel, the United Kingdom of Israel, had already split away. That was the Golan Heights and Damascus, so where you would get Damascus today, that part of Syria, had already split away from the unified kingdom of King David and Solomon. On the death of Solomon, his son, Rehoboam, ascends the throne. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing. Rehoboam goes to be uh, anointed as king, and the northern tribes reject Rehoboam as the king of unified Israel. So the southern tribes, where you've got Judah and Benjamin, and possibly Simeon, as that was part of the uh, the Judah territories, um, are following Rehoboam. The northern kingdom follows Jeroboam. So that's why I had to think and go, no, this is the R one. Right, so the kingdom had split. You've got the majority of the north that had turned away from the line of David and uh, you've got the minority south that he's following. Now the kingdom of the north confusingly called Israel um, immediately falls into apostasy. So immediately falls into uh, the worship of idols and uh, they were quite famous for their two golden calves that they went to worship. So if any of you know the Exodus story when, um, when the people of Israel convinced Aaron to make the golden calf, this was kind of the, the point now where those people of Israel had come to. Their hearts were a long, long way away from the Lord. And when we come to read it, the Lord's all in capitals. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. So the northern tribes had moved away from uh, Jehovah. And the southern tribes were nominally holding on to him. Okay? Rehoboam was not a follower of the Lord. He was not a follower of Yahweh. So right at the start of the split, you've got a king in the north who's creating golden calves. 
You've got a king in the south where the temple is in Jerusalem that's not really that bothered about Yahweh and godly worship. He's more concerned with other gods. And uh, God punishes Judah. And the 24th kingdom of Egypt goes north and attacks Judah. Now, at this time, Judah is probably about the size of Cheshire. Right, just to get that kind of... It's certainly smaller than Derbyshire. It's about 50 miles across and is about 65 miles long. Judah is not a big place. Even geopolitically in its time, even though we talk about it a lot, it is a very small kingdom. And it's insignificant. The larger kingdoms are to the north. You've got an Assyria uh, that's getting quite big. And to the south, Egypt. Egypt is the, the United States. Egypt is the world power at that time. So Judah is um, attacked by Egypt and falls. And that's where the treasures of Solomon are carried away. So if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was Egypt that got it. Okay, Or, as the Raiders of the Lost Ark would tell you, is where the priests hid it somewhere in uh, Judah. But uh, they carried off the splendor of Solomon. So Rehoboam was left, and instead of gold shields, he was left with bronze shields. And the, the royalty, the realness of the court, was all stripped back. Right, Rehoboam uh, dies. His son, Abijah, replaces Rehoboam on his death. But he does follow God. He follows uh, Yahweh. Uh, he reigns for uh, three years, and during that time, Israel attacks. Now, as I told you, Israel's got bigger. It's got the bigger tribes, the bigger numbers. Judah's quite small. Judah, because it was following uh, Yahweh, God, has this mighty victory. They are outnumbered about two to one. You can read this in Chronicles. So Judah slightly expands into the territory of, um, uh, of northern Israel. Right, so then that king dies. We've got three years. And then Abijah becomes king. Um, and uh, no, Abijah reigns for three years, then dies. And then his son Asa becomes king. And that's who we're going to be concentrating in a little bit today. Um, Asa um, was also after a man after God's own heart. Like his grandfather, great-grandfather David, he was completely sold out uh, for God at the beginning of his life. So there was uh, peace for ten years. And during that 10-year period, what he does, he gets rid of all of the high altars, all of the Asherah poles, all of the Baal worship. He gets rid of it all. He has a look at the influences uh, in the own royal family, and he's this mighty reform going on in the structures of Judah. But then, um, uh, Asa is looking north because Israel is looking south. And there's an uneasy alliance. There's a, there's a lot of enmity between the two groups. So Asa's got his eyes on the north. He starts to fortify the northern towns. Egypt attacks from the south. Now, this is not the same Egypt, the 24th kingdom, that attacked. Egypt had also had some of its own problems. And the Cushite army uh, had attacked Egypt, and Egypt had fallen from its southern border. So we've now got the Cushites in control of Egypt, 
And so if you've come across Cush and Put later on in the Bible, they're the two uh, big groups along with Egypt that then eyes eyes on the north. Right, so there's a massive army. This is like the United States going against Wales. Right, this is not a fair fight. It talks about thousands upon thousands of people. talks about the number of chariots. They are, without doubt, the world superpower. And this is Asa's response. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against the vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. That's 2 Chronicles 14. Right, the battle is joined, but before the battle is fought, God is already fighting on behalf of Asa. And what happens is, this mighty super army from the south is completely and utterly destroyed. And King Asa, with his army, is left to pick up pick up all the treasures and all the loot from this mighty army. King Asa is rich beyond his imagining, right? He has got the wealth of the world's superpower and he's now got it in the kingdom the size of Cheshire, right? He's rich, he's powerful, he's done it. Five years of peace uh, prevail as King Asa is now uh, a lot of the money has been restored to the uh, temple and to the kingdom. Uh, King Asa continues his reforms. King Asa tackles his great-grandmother, who was a priestess of a, another god, and starts to clear out those influences. Five years later, there is a revival in Judah. All Judah rejoiced about the oath. They had sworn it wholeheartedly. They saw God eagerly, and he was found them, found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Right. From one chapter to another, we're about to read 2 Chronicles 16, if you want to be looking uh, in your Bibles. There is a 20-year gap. The first 15 years of King Asa, everything had gone right. When he was in trouble, King Asa had turned to the Lord. And the Lord had given him victories. Uh, When he had a look around at the divided hearts, he tackled what was dividing people's hearts and he got rid of the high altars and places that weren't part of the worship of Jehovah. And the people of Judah had this revelation of God and a revival of Yahweh worship. Right, so at this point in history, now you have got an apostate state to the north, Israel. The Levites had left along with some other people and had now come to Judah. So all those people in the north that still regarded Jehovah as God had moved into the southern kingdom. And Israel, the northern kingdom, was a long, long way away from God. 20 years later, Uh, Follow me on this. 2 Chronicles 16, 1-14. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, uh, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified uh, Ramah to protect anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasures of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadadad, king of Aram, 
who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered, I'm going to go, Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. With them he built up Jebra and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army, with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. This is a key verse, won't you remember it? For the eyes of the Lord ranged throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of Kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of Uh, the reign of Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though the disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. King Asa started really well. He started wholeheartedly set on God, And when he came across problems, instead of trying to solve them on his own, he committed himself to God and said, Lord, you are my strength. You are the person that I'm going to rely on. The odds looked insurmountable, but his faith in the Lord was unwavering. And he went and God won the victory for him. He was so on fire for God at this time that it wasn't just enough that he uh, worshipped God, but he had to get the people around him worshipping God as well, the true God. He was wholly on fire. 20 years later, we have got a king who is a long way away. When he's in trouble, he's finding the politics. He's spending the money from God's temple, it's not his to spend, and his own treasury, and he is trying to fix things politically. He's not at God. One step further, even when he's really ill, and he's got two years of this uh, like decaying foot disease, even in the two years where he's in constant pain, and his son, who was a follower of Yahweh, uh, ended up co-reigning with him for a short period of time, Uh, But he was in that much pain, he couldn't even rule. Even then, he couldn't bring himself to turn to the Lord that had saved him a mere 20 years ago. What had happened to King Asa? Now, I've got to be really honest with you. When I was uh, thinking about this sermon, 
let me careful how I phrase this. I'd uh, had a health scare, okay, and I was uh, being investigated for uh, a cancerous mark on my back. Uh, and uh, and as I'm going through this, um, it's uh, now thank thank God for being God. I didn't. I never went through that on my own. My missional community were a great support to me, uh, and and of that nature. Uh, when the consultant saw it, within half an hour, I was being operated on. So. Uh, so thank you, uh, the NHS. Uh, they do a great thing. And if you work for the NHS, uh, God bless you. You need more money. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, everything that could be done was done. Now, but what that did with my own life, it made me a little bit introspective. I, I, I wasn't sulking and doing all of that. But there, I made some good decisions when I was a young man, when I was Sophia's age. I'd made good decisions. Uh, those decisions were, I'm going to believe in God and I'm going to go all in. I'm, I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm not going to be uh, wavering between different opinions. What I'm going to do is I'm going to decide in my own life, I'm for God. For good or bad, I'll stand for my God who saved me. And I've made some howlers since then. But that good decision that I made was a good decision, and it kept me, or it has kept me, uh, for this far. Now, I'm now looking uh, at a life, I'd not received my letter saying, uh, we're all good, uh, John Mark, everything's out that needs to be out. And uh, I'm thinking, God, I want to have a life that finishes as well as it started. So um, so when I was uh, Sophia's age, I was a Christian. I was very fortunate to be brought up in a Christian family, Christian mum and dad, and found that Jesus loved me for myself. The blessings of that, I can't fully grasp. To, to, be, to have known God from such an early age was such a privilege. Um, but I'm walking with God, and I'm thinking, God, I don't want to do a King Asa. I don't want to, to finish my life saying who is God or I'm not going to turn to your God I'm going to try and sort everything out myself so that may colour some of the things uh, that I uh, have said but uh, God uh, sorted everything out I want to run the race well I want to finish well and I want to hear the words well done good and faithful servant there is nothing in my life more important to me than hearing those from the lips of Jesus, those words. Nothing. So, um, so I thought, well, God, it doesn't record in the Bible what happened in King Gaysa's life. So as I'm out with Colin the dog, um, I'm, I'm just thinking, God, what, what is it that happened in King Gaysa's life? And I thought, you know what, starting with the words of Jesus may not be a bad place to start. Now, we don't know, so this is a hypothesis. Hypothesis one, I'm calling distractions. Cares of the world, including disappointments. Now, I'd not originally include disappointment, but I believe that when I was thinking about this, God told me uh, to include disappointments in it. That there may be things in your life, things that you look at and you are disappointed 
either in yourself or in events that you find yourself caught up in. Do not let that distract you from the race that you are running. Keep in your heart, I will keep running the race. I will give God my disappointments. I will give him my cares and burdens. Mark 4. Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others like seed sowed on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it fruitful. Others like seed grow on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what we've sown. Just as an aside, Jesus speaks in parables not to help people understand the opposite. Jesus spoke in parables so people didn't understand. Uh, But when Jesus was with his disciples, he then uh, explains what this parable meant. And he said it to the twelve, not to the crowd. So he goes to these different types of people in the world. The first group of people that you will go to, they'll reject me out of hand. Not for me. No, thank you. I've got my own thing on on the go. There's that type of people. King Asa was not that kind of person. So that doesn't fit the hypothesis. The second group of people are when troubles and persecutions come, it becomes too much and they fall back into their old patterns, into their old lives. We know King Asa is not that because the biggest army in the world had come up against him and instead of fainting away, he was what my old youth leader used to call a teabag Christian. He came to strength in hot water. So when the trouble came and the the water started to get hot, he got hotter for God and the Yorkshire tea was brewed. Right, so that's not King Asa, but this third one might be. The third type of people are those that accepted the word of God, but the worries of this life, the distractions of wealth and other desires choke the God life out of them. Now, King Asa, and this is just a hypothesis, King Asa had become incredibly wealthy based on the victory that God had given him over Egypt. Incredibly wealthy. Was it the wealth of that victory that God had given him? Was it that wealth that distracted him? Was it that all the reform that was going on and tackling his own family uh, and... Uh, that was he concerned about the running of the kingdom was he concerned with all these worries all these burdens all of these cares was he was there something going on in his royal family life that disappointments had set in that it, it was not just distractions but it was distractions of wealth and it was it was disappointments perhaps perhaps he had a, a sick son or daughter or we just don't know But King Gesa, is that you? Are you that third person, that that third type 
of seed. King Gaiser, is that you? I'm a big fan, not that I do it very much now, of scuba diving. I really enjoy it. I, uh, I have great fun. When I was uh, a teacher in uh, a school in Derbyshire, the uh, uh, head teacher uh, and me became friends. He was a scuba diving instructor and he taught me to scuba dive in a quarry in Leicester. Yes, it sounds that good. It was cold, dark, fr- cold. I was one, it was once so cold when I jumped in on Boxing Day that I, oh, I'm not sure I should tell you the story. I was actually sick through my regulators. You know when you get brain freeze eating ice cream? It was that cold. When it hit the top of my head, I won't... It was, it was very unpleasant. Right, but, right, so I knew how to scuba dive. Um, I'm, I'm an advanced scuba diver. I've got, uh, I've got qualifications for, for different things. So I never got wet, only my hands and head. I'm not stupid. It's, it's in a quarry in Leicester. So I was a dry suit uh, scuba diver. And the head said, I've managed to get from the shop uh, a couple of torpedoes. Are you going to come with me after school on a Wednesday night? We'll drive down to, to Leicester. Uh, we'll jump in this quarry and we'll have a play with these torpedoes. I'm in. Okay? These tor- anything. If, if you know a little bit about me now, I'll let this, and it's not so much of a secret is, if there's a hard way of doing something or an easy way of doing something, naturally, I tend to that way. The idea of scuba diving, where you didn't have to fin and use your legs, was, oh, this, this is it. This is, this is the future. I don't even have to swim and, and enjoy it. Right, so we, we get in. The equipment for scuba diving is ridiculous. Uh, you, you put on twice your body weight and then jump into water. It, 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 mentally, it's, it's mind-blowing. But not only do we have to get all of our equipment to make sure it's all right because human beings can't breathe underwater unless they get their equipment right. But we also had these torpedoes. I'm holding my, to- my torpedo, and I'm thinking, I can't wait to go here. Let's- right, so we're in. So in a quarry, think of it like there's a big drop, then there's a shelf called the 20-meter the, the shelf. Then there's another drop, then there's a shelf. It's like the steps in a quarry, but it's like all underwater. So we're on the first shelf. We're on the first 20-meter shelf. We're Zooming around with these torpedoes, I'm having the time of my life. Okay, so there's uh, these old wrecks that they've put into it. So there's uh, Elizabethan ships, there's uh, this fish to see, there's they even have Nessie, which is a big 10 meter Loch Ness monster that they move around. And I tell you, when you're, when you're on your torpedo and you come face to face with a Loch Ness monster, it don't often make your heart stop. Uh, because you can't actually see very far, which is, uh, you can on the Great Barrier Reef. You can't in Britain. Uh, and you've probably got the visibility of probably uh, uh, six or seven metres. It can be quite uh, closed. It went wrong. My regulator failed. So I'm thinking, that's no problem, because I've got a spare. We call the spare an octopus. Don't ask me why, I've got no idea. We call, and, and I went to get my octopus except it wasn't where it should have been. I'd become distracted 
looking at the torpedo that I'd forgotten my reserve regulator that was about to save my life. Except it couldn't save my life because it was wrapped round the back of my two air tanks. Now, I knew at that point that I'd been down there for about 40 minutes. I knew that there was that much nitrogen in my blood that if I used my torpedo to get to the top, I would get the bends. And I knew that that was not the way that I wanted to go. So I knelt on the ground 20 metres, and as my vision was coming in, and I knew that when those stars met in the middle, I would pass out, I would drown. I knew that, and I couldn't believe how calm I was. In my head, I'm thinking, well, I've not planned to meet Jesus today. Oh, oh well. Uh, and it was very much like that. I'd gone really calm, really peaceful. I was, honestly, 30 seconds, I was not expecting to live. My head teacher saw what had happened and he was scooting around and just as I was about to pass out, he, got, he didn't even have time to get his octopus off and put it in my mouth. He took the regulator from my mouth, shoved it into my mouth. I, I took a, a breath and then fainted for two minutes, 20 meters down in a quarry in Leicester. We got up, uh, we got to the surface, we had a cup of tea, and we had a second dive. Um, <clears throat> because if you don't do that, you'll never go again. So it's, uh, uh, so, and I don't like being beaten by anything. But that distraction could have cost me my life. It came really close to costing my life. King Gaysa, the distractions cost him his life, cost him his, re- cost him his relationship with God how have the worries of your life are they distracting you from what's really important are you having a torpedo moment are you having a uh, you know the cares the worries the distractions and you have taken your eyes off what is really important the pearl of greatest price was it disobedience was it the hypothesis too was it that King Asa had fallen into sin had he failed to stand gareth would you mind if i used you as a as part of an illustration would would that be all right (laughs) you can say no if you don't want to gareth we're about to wrestle so (laughs) so is so tapping right so for this illustration, I'm Big Daddy, giant haystacks, it seems fair. Right, because I'm not into this modern wrestling, I'm into the old school. Okay, so I'm going to be Big Daddy, and we've got giant haystacks here. Right, now, the word that Paul uses in the Bible, the Greek word is stenai, right? And when Paul says stand, do all that you can to stand, The word stenai is the Greek word that he uses. And it means more than just standing in the passive, it means standing in the active. And to the Greek world, which the world was that Jesus was in at that time, standing was synonymous with wrestling. Now, Greek wrestling was very different to Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. Right, so in Greek wrestling, 
everyone strips off. So, for the sake of my modesty, and only my modesty, we are not going to strip off. You're in church, behave yourselves. Right, <laughs> what happens, okay? We, we kind of get the, the fight position. Now, before we get into the fight position, the Greek wrestling, what happens is all of Gareth, all over him, is covered in oil olive oil okay like top of his head bottom of his feet everything is covered in olive oil my team on this side i'm covered in olive oil right so it's two pigs in a blanket kind of kind of thing right right so the idea is that in greek wrestling you can't actually get hold because you just slide off so so you like try and grab somebody and you just you're sliding off it because you are covered in oil right so what you do in Greek wrestling, you ready? You ready, Gareth? Because I'm going to throw you over. Okay. Oh, no. it's, I'm clearly not. Okay. Right, so, so what happens in Greek wrestling is, is an odd tip-taps. So, so we get, and, and I go like that. And I, I just tap away at certain, and we're, we're like lunging in and out, and Gareth's tapping away at me, like that. And the, yeah, it's a bit more exciting than that, but, right. But the idea being that all this oil that we've put on in this old fashioned Greek wrestling, I've got a minute left, no chance. Uh, uh, all of this, all of this stuff is being rubbed off. And what then happens is, is that the oil has gone from me. Gareth grabs hold of me and slams me to the floor and then stands on me. I'm not going to. My doctor told me not to. But, but thank you very much. Thank you, Gareth. Right, so Gareth has put me on the floor. He's the one standing, stanai. I'm the one that is beaten. I'm on the floor. Gareth literally puts his foot on my chest and he is declared the winner. When Paul is writing to the New Testament churches, he is using this word stanai, which is part of the Greek wrestling, for make sure that you stand. Do not morally corrupt yourself with the world. Keep standing for God. Now, big thing there is, uh, and we talked about the, uh, the oil, the oil is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, okay? The enemy can't get a grip on you if you are close to God and covered in the Holy Spirit. When Paul changes it, and in Ephesians, he starts to talk about the armor of God, he's using the same kind of words, stenai, and he's talking about being fully covered from your head to your feet. He's talking about putting Jesus on. He's talking about not the way that you think, what does Jesus think? When uh, the, the great thing about the, uh, the Greek wrestlers couldn't, but we can come to God every minute of every day and say, God, keep filling me. Keep pouring that oil over me. And you know what? That oil will never, ever run out in your life. Now, sometimes the enemy taps us. 
and we've got away with it. And we go, oh, yeah, made it. The enemy taps us again. Got away with it. Yeah, brilliant. I'm getting quite good at this. But it's not you that's standing. It's the oil that's stopping you from falling. And then you get tapped again. And you go, okay, I'm getting really, really good at this Christian thing. Then the enemy grabs you, gets hold of you, and sticks you on the floor. And you have been mastered by something else. Right. What Paul is urging you to do is to stand. It's an active word, not a passive word. It requires will. It requires effort. It requires commitment. But by everything that you have, stand. Right? If you find yourself on the floor today, I've got really good news. Jesus has won. And his mercies are new every morning. So if you think I'm out, sin has put me on the floor, the only failure is to fail to get up. Right? Jesus has won. The thing that has mastered you has got no power over you. You can say, get off me. I'm not yours. I'm his. So if you're in that point where King Asa could have been, has sin mastered you? Had King Asa said, shove off God, I'm in control, not your way, but my way. Had something come into his life that had turned his heart and then his head? Very, very briefly. Hypothesis three, duty. A love grown cold. Jesus Speaking to the church of Ephesus, where Paul was talking about the armour of God and about standing. These are the words of Jesus to that church. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who was the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. It's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' church. It's no one else's church. It's Jesus' church. Uh, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have uh, tested those that claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. This is Jesus talking to his bride. This is Jesus talking to his church, his beloved. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. King Gaiser had seemingly done everything right. He loved God and served him well. When in trouble, he turned to God and God saved him. His deeds and hard work have been seen by God by all the nations of Judah. But has his love grown cold? Is hypothesis three, a person that served God first in love and then duty. And then the duty grew cold and he turned his head. This is the unseen danger of every Christian life. There's a reason Jesus puts it in the Bible. And the reason why it's dangerous is for uh, distractions and disobedience, there are outward signs of it. For this one, 
for duty, for a love grown cold, you can be sat in church, you can be serving on the music team, you can be serving teas and coffees, you can be on the welcome, you can be taking a full part in your missional community life, you can be involved, but your heart doesn't burn as it once did. You are doing things out of a sense of loyalty to your friends. You are doing things out of a sense of duty. That duty will grow cold and it will grow heavy because you're not doing it out of love. What's the first commandment? Love. The first commandment is love. Love God. With everything that you have, with everything you can do to stand, the first command of God is to love The church here in Ephesus, its theology was spot on. There was a kind of teaching going around at the time, the Nicolaitans. I won't go into what that was. But there was was false teachings going around the church. So it's not a surprise to me that there's false teachings going around the church. Not here, but there's false teachings going around the church today. Because it's been doing that since the beginning of the church. But here, the thing that really stood out to me when I was thinking about my own life and I was um, saying to God, God, I don't want to be like King Asa. This is the one that served as a warning to me. God, I do not want to grow cold. I want to, for as long as you keep me here, I want to be in love with you. Not doing things out of duty, but doing things because I love you. My appeal then my conclusion is will you go all in are you all in for God or are you reserving a bit for something else I've got a favorite character in the C.S. Lewis books and I'm not sure if you've ever read the C.S. Lewis books I'm a big fan of a little mouse called Reaper G he's quite He's small, he's quite insignificant, he's a little mouse, but he has the heart for a lion. Reaper Cheap. He's on my Bible app, on you know that you Bible app? He's, Reaper Cheap is the picture that I have there, because that's how I feel. I feel a little mouse in a big wide world, but I want a heart like Reaper Cheap. While I can, I say at least in the dawn trader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. I'm all in. Don't do a King Gaser, whatever it was. Don't get distracted. Don't be disobedient. And don't let duty, even good ones, don't let duty hold your heart. But do what Joshua did. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Joshua, what a guy. That he should turn and say, as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. I'm all in no matter what happens. All in. I cannot guarantee you a trouble-free life. The Bible does not allow me to say that. Whatever troubles that you will face, whatever difficulties, what I can is that if you are fully committed to him, this verse in 
Chronicles is for you. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout all the earth to strengthen those whose heart are fully committed to him. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your strength. It's not about your vast intelligence or your great faith. It's about who you've put your faith in. What you can do is you can say, as for me, today, I choose to go all in. I choose that whatever life may bring, whatever things I've got to go for, go through, whatever may happen in this world, I'm going to live for God 100%, all in, full of love for him. This is the this is the challenge. If you want to, if you've started your Christian walk, the challenge is this. Do you want to finish it as well as you've started? We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.